For those who are visitors, um, we are looking at the Psalms of Ascent, um, Psalms 120 to 134, uh, following Eugene Peterson and his book, uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. But I realized um, in the last couple of weeks that I wasn't going to get 14 Psalms done before we come into the winter session, so I'm uh, skipping a few, across a few, and this morning, as June Pat has read, we've got to Psalm 126. And my story introducing this sermon Gary almost is done with uh, the writer of it as well with my soul. But I want to use a more updated version. Cheryl Sandberg is the Facebook chief operating officer. And on the 1st of May, she lost her husband David in a tragic accident while they were on holidays. She's blogged this since. Today is the end of Shalushim for my beloved husband. The first 30 days... Judaism calls for a period of intense mourning known as Shiva that lasts seven days after a loved one is buried. After Shiva, most normal activities can be resumed, but it is the end of Shiloshim that marks the completion of religious mourning for a spouse. A childhood friend of mine who is now a rabbi recently told me that the most powerful one-line prayer he has ever read is... Let me not die while I am still alive. I would never understood that prayer before losing Dave. Now I do. I think when tragedy occurs, it presents a choice. You can give in to the void. The emptiness that fills your heart, your lungs, constricts your ability to think or even breathe. Or you can try to find meaning. These past 30 days, I have spent many of my moments lost in that void. And I know that many future moments will be consumed by the vast emptiness as well. But when I can, I want to choose life and meaning. When I can... I want to choose life and meaning. Let me tell you another quick story, and I, I start it with Rick Warren because you'll forgive me when I end it. You'll get where I, why I want to concentrate this story on Rick Warren. Rick Warren, for those who don't know, is the minister of Saddleback Church in California, I think, and was the one who wrote the books Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life, etc., Rick and his wife, uh, Kate, lost their son, Matthew, to suicide just a couple of years ago after years of mental health issues. And Kay wrote a book called Choose Joy. Last week in LA, here's where the predictable's coming, but please bear with me because I think this is a powerful story. Last week in LA, Warren was called into a pastoral situation. Some guys had lost a work colleague of 30 years. This came just months after they'd lost their chaplain and spiritual mentor of 40 years, and weeks after one of them had lost their father. And this was how Warren, uh, Rick Warren read scripture and prayed just before you two went on stage in LA. After reading scripture, sharing the story of Matthew, and ministering to them in prayer, he turned to Bono and he said, so what can you do now? And as Bono walked onto the stage to do a concert, he said, choose joy. Choose joy. 
Chicago, you've lost everything. Then you lose your family. How do you respond? You're a young woman at the head of your point of your career and you lose your husband. How do you respond? You're a rock band who loses their chaplain, their tour manager, and the drummer's father all in a very short space of time. How do you respond? Choose life. Choose meaning and choose joy. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I read the Rick Warren U2 story, I kind of went, oh yeah, just choose joy? Come on. And then I got to the psalm we're doing this morning. And that's exactly what Eugene Peterson is telling us this is all about. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Laughter, laughter, applause after people are welcomed into a church. Laughter is not a great Presbyterian liturgical uh, discipline. It's not, I, I have been in places where people said to me after the service, you did something there I've never seen done before and it quite kind of worked. And I said, well, what was that? And they said, you told a joke. More natural in Fitzroy, perhaps. Presbyterians are known as kind of a little bit, you know, a little bit dour and drab and a little bit resilient. I've told you the story before about the minister going across the frozen lake in Scotland from one of his churches to the other and he skated across and presbytery met to see whether he could do that on the Sabbath and they concluded that he could as long as he didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Anne Lamott, my wife's guru, um, she had a wonderful piece in her book Plan B where one, some of the words were um, I want to know laughter as a carbonated holiness. Laughter as a carbonated holiness. Karl Barth has said that laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. Have you ever thought of laughter as carbonated holiness? Have you ever thought of laughter as the closest thing to the grace of God? The people who were going up to Jerusalem in these Psalms of Ascent were saying that their mouths were full of laughter. Joy, laughter, fun, enjoyment, applause, all these kinds of things. Peterson in the chapter in his um, book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, about this psalm, says this, that joy is a consequence of faith, not a requirement. Joy is a consequence of faith, not a requirement. So I'm aware today as I speak that I'm in a room full of people where maybe laughter is something that's not where you feel you are at this moment in time. Where joy is not something that comes as it does when um, I was doing Pause for Thought this week and it was um, DeLorean. Uh, well, they asked me to do time travel 
where would I go if I could time travel? So I get into the DeLorean that I used to pass on a Friday afternoon on the way home on the train out there at Dunmurray. And then Michael J. Fox jumped into to get his 2.21 gigawatts of electricity. Who is nerdy enough to know that it was 2.21 gigawatts? Well, I did pause for thought on it this week. And I went straight back to that moment that Boyd McDowell was there when I was in the garden and Aguero scored the second city goal in injury time to win the premiership for the first time in 44 years. Now there's a place of joy, although that joy was me in the garden because I'd left because I didn't believe. And then in my DeLorean, I went back to that moment where Mary is in the tomb and she doesn't believe in another garden and she sees the body gone and suddenly belief and disbelief, sorrow, sadness and joy mingle into something. Mingle into something. But you may be in an experience where even a good football result might not take you out of that that you're struggling with. Joy is not a requirement for faith. We don't ask you today as you come to this table, by the way, unless you're joyful this morning, in the depth of your being, you can't come. But I would pray as a pastor that maybe the coming to this table, maybe the participating, the participation in this story would be something that might help us find the deeper joy that is a consequence of faith. Because it is the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love. Joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul's letter to the Philippians is written in prison, at least in house arrest, and I will continue to rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content, content, rejoice, joyous in any and every situation. James, in his letter... Consider it all a joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Joy is an incredibly important word in the New Testament letters and this life that we live out of what Christ has done for us. Peterson says, joy is the product of abundance. It is the overflow of vitality. John 10.10 I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. Our mantra, our mission statement here in Fitzroy. Life in all its fullness as it overflows will lead us to joy. But where is this joy? Well, if we look at this psalm and exegete it for a moment, we might find that. Peterson says that the central words in his paraphrase, not the one I read, are we are one happy people. We are one happy people. He's not even distinguishing joy and laughter from happiness here. And then he says, if we look before we are one happy people, what makes us a people of joy? What makes us a people who can laugh? What makes us a people of meaning and can choose life and can choose joy? Well, he says the first two verses, and there's a thread going through here and most of my recent sermons, we look at the past, the story we've been in in the past. It seems like a dream too good to be true when God returns Zion's exiles. We laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortunes. We were the talk of the nations. God has done wonderful things to them. God has been wonderful to us. 
So we find this people as they go up to Jerusalem to this pinnacle of their worship, again looking back to what God has done for them. And let's remember, these guys were in places that there wasn't much joy. Think of Egypt. Think of the slavery that they were in there. Think of what it meant to choose life, to choose meaning, to choose hope, to choose joy in the midst of that situation. Or when the Philistines were ruling all around them and David was coming on the scene, they had to find some way in this to choose life and choose joy and choose meaning. And then in Babylon, as they're carried into exile, there's all kinds of stories in the prophets and passages in the prophets where they're called on to find meaning and life and joy in the midst of very, very dark places. But God was in the stories and God was there to rescue them in the stories. So they looked at their past and a God who, while they were in their dark moments, not finding it being well with their soul easily, that God had been faithful. So before that central line, Peterson says, we are a happy people, we look back and see where God has done things for us, where God's story has been at work. And we come to where we are in our journey of faith now, believing that we're part of that story. It was in Dave's opening hymn. And then Peterson says they look forward with anticipation to what the God who has done things for them in the past will do for them in the future. Two images in that second half, the Negev Desert. I always find it tricky to preach in Fitzroy with all the expertise here, but we have the McElwains in the house and they lived in that area. And Stephen even worked in water for goodness sake. And I'm going to use an illustration from where he lived and what he worked in and probably get it all wrong. But uh, I'll blame Peterson for that. In this Negev Desert where there was months of baked uh, desert, arid, nothing happening, Just with one downpour of rain, it could set the whole desert ablaze with color. Now, here was my revelation this week as I prepared this. I need to take a theology that I gave to a a rock musician from uh, Dublin and say he stole it right here from Eugene Peterson. Peterson says, our lives are like the Negev, drought-stricken. And then suddenly the long years of barren waiting are interrupted by God's invasion of grace. I have done series of talks around the world on Bono's theology of the interruption of grace. He stole it from Eugene Peterson. This is what he was reading at the time. Long years of barren waiting are interrupted by God's invasion of grace. The people going up to Jerusalem looking back at the story of God's interruptions of grace in their past, were in anticipation seeing that whatever they were in now, God's interruption and invasion of grace could still give them hope and life and meaning. Jonathan was on about it last week. It was interesting, I thought, when he was talking about that parable of, uh, of the, the sand and the rock and where you build your house, that Jesus says... I didn't mean you left during that, Jonathan. Um, That Jesus says the winds will beat against 
the, the storms will come. It's not if they come. Can I say as your pastor today, the storms are going to come. There's going to be dark moments of the soul where in your life, this week, next week, next year, the year after, 20 years down the road, it's going to happen. And in those moments, you are going to have to decide, do you choose life? Do you choose meaning? Do you choose grace? And what foundations you have in your life is going to be that which will decide whether you can make those choices. And I think today as we come around this table... That's one of the reasons that Jesus gave us this sacrament, so that we could, in real terms, take hold of this story in bread and wine and realize that God's interruptions of grace in the past can come in our lives right here and now. The sower, the second image in this psalm, tells us that in our sorrow and in our tears, we can sow seeds that will bring a harvest that will bring change and will bring possibility for the future. Peterson ends this psalm by saying, we can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. Will we do that? We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. We can decide, he goes on, to live in an environment of a living God and not our own dying selves. We can decide to live in the environment of a living God and not our own dying selves. We can decide, he goes on, to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own egos which greedily grab. We can decide to center ourselves in a God who generously gives and not in our own egos, which greedily grab. What will we choose today? Where are we in our lives? Will we choose life? Will we choose hope? Will we choose joy? Let's pray together. Lord, you know what is going on in our lives where we are in our journeys of faith. And so we pray that like the psalmist, we might look back and see your interruptions and invasions of your grace and rescue and believe in anticipation of the same again. That joy is not a requirement to come around this table, but it may be a consequence of coming around this table. And that we might find as we gather around this table, your life, your meaning, your foundation, your joy. May it be so, in Jesus' name. Amen.